This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Horst Scholz. Horst is a founding member of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company and has established a new standard of excellence in the hospitality industry. Under his leadership, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company became the first service-based company to be awarded the prestigious Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award twice. Later in his career, Mr. Scholes founded the Capella Hotel Group. Now he energizes organizations to reconnect with their service commitment. He also recently completed his first book titled Excellence Wins, which I highly recommend, which we'll talk about more here today. Horst, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Nice to be with you. My pleasure. So one question that I ask every single guest at the very beginning is what's one thing people might not know about you? <laughs> well, uh, nothing too exciting. Uh, what, what is one thing? One, I give you. Well, I just was notified that I have 8 million miles with, 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 with Delta. <laughs> That's not a good thing. And oh, well, but I, a good thing that is just happened to the hotel program, the hotel school in Auburn was just named, adopted my name. It is now the Horst Schulze Hospitality Management School. So that was an exciting moment. And I'm frankly, I'm proud of it. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, because, well, you know, you get you get all kind of awards as you go on. And um, some of them deserved, some of them not deserved. And uh, you get a plaque, you put it somewhere and you don't even know what a plaque is all about. But this is different, you know, and because I have been involved at the university and hopefully I can impact. And that's the key here, uh, young people positively for their life and for our industry. Yeah, I think it was a huge honor. I mean, I, I saw that online as well. And congratulations. I, Thank you. When you get your name on something and obviously the the, the Ritz-Carlton is is a class in its own, but then you you start to give back. And when you start to give back based off of the industry and knowledge that you have, then people are acknowledging yeah. what that what you have and what you've done yeah. and uh, how you've uh, become a servant leader and and they're recognizing you for that. So congratulations again. Thank you. Interesting enough, though, uh, everybody, you mentioned this Carlton a few times, everybody does that, obviously, because Ritz Carlton is uh, very well known in, in the US and, and, and uh, around the world. Uh, but after Ritz Carlton, I started a new hotel company, and which is Capella, which, by the way, is now rated number one in the world. Now, I, I sold that company a couple of years ago, so um, I'm not owning it anymore, so I'm not selling it, but it is rated number one. And in fact, their hotel in Bali is rated number one hotel, not only the company, but so so it works somehow. The, the philosophy <laughs> behind Ritz-Carlton and Kabbalah works. Yeah, it's something that you've practiced and you've preached. And I think that is the key to both is that you have to, you have to put that in in order. You know, one place that I want to start, and I 
had the opportunity to to read the book Excellence Wins and no, a no nonsense guide to becoming the best in a world of compromise. And I want to start, and I like how you started, which is at the very beginning, because it says right in the book that by age four, not by age twenty four, but by age four, you wanted to be in the hotel business. No, well, it doesn't mean eleven. It was really actually eleven. Oh, okay. So tell me more about that. I grew up in a small town in Germany, and in that town was no hotel. I had never been in a hotel, but I must have read something about a hotel. So I went to my parents, and I said, I want to work in a hotel business. They were, yeah, okay, fine, yeah, that, because 11 years old, you don't pay attention. But I kept on begging, and I went on and on and on. And uh, that's not something we did in Germany at the time. And in fact, they were embarrassed. my grandfather was very embarrassed. Hotel business, you do a real decent job with your hand, you know. If I would have said I want to be a butcher, that would have been applauded. <laughs> of course, architect now that would have been so I insisted my parents inquired from an agency how to follow a career. They were advised you should find the best hotel possible for him to start with to work. They found a hotel, unfortunately, 100 kilometers away, which was seen as the best in the region. So frankly, when I was 14, I left home and lived in the dorm room with other kids and worked in the hotel. And once a week, once a week went to hotel school. So that's the beginning, yeah. A very impactful beginning because when I arrived at that hotel, well, the general manager talked to myself, my mother first and said, told us the, the guests here are very important. Basically, you are not. You are here to learn how to serve them. They're all important, ladies and gentlemen. My parents had told me that too. But then I met the maitre d', the, the, the gentleman in charge of the restaurants and so on, and who spent most of his time in the gourmet restaurant where I worked. And he said, in two sentences, <laughs> literally changed my life. I mean, now, I didn't know that at the time, Don't mind you, I was 14 years old. And he said, tomorrow, show up at 7 a.m. If I meant one minute after 7, I would tell you so. Well, so he established discipline and controls and then who is in charge, everything in one sentence right there. And the next he said, and don't come to work. Come here to create excellence in what you're doing. Now this, this, that truly went over my head because I knew I would have to wash dishes and, and clean floors. And, and if I'm lucky, clean an ashtray on the table where there are guests. <laughs> so, so excellence relating to that, I didn't get, I learned from him over the next few years what excellence meant. You know, and it was a an, an very impactful man. And, and slowly I understood what he meant with excellence. Uh, excellence is never an accident. It's always the result of high intent. He wanted you to have a high intent in everything you do, not just fulfill a function. Like hypothetically, the chair in which you're sitting is fulfilling a function. He said, we're human beings. We have to have a high intent relative to our function. The function, every function is not fulfilled for the function itself, but it should be fulfilled for a high intent. And I slowly understood that. And he did that uh, exceptionally, exceptionally. He was a fabulous gentleman. So I, I learned over the next few years. And in fact, after a while, I wrote a 
in hotel school an essay about him when I was about 16. And uh, I wrote that we are ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen, which is as important as the guests, except our job is serving. If we don't serve well, well done, we are servants, but we're not servants. And I made that a motto of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company when I started. We are ladies and gentlemen. We're not servants. We're ladies and gentlemen. Serving ladies and gentlemen. Serving happens to be a profession. And if we do that well, in fact, we define ourselves as ladies and gentlemen. That's really cool. Was there a time when you started, when you were 14 and you started this apprenticeship and you started having excellence serving dishes or, or cleaning dishes? And then eventually, hopefully, you got to the people. Was there a time when you're thinking, man, this isn't for me? This isn't what I signed up for? Actually, no. You know, I come from, again, a small village. My father was a postman. My mother was a housewife. And all of a sudden, I find myself in beautiful surroundings. And, and okay, of course, the mentality explained that to us. He, he put that in our heart, too, in, in our head and heart. Uh, he, he said, look, uh, they're paying a fortune to be here. We earn money as we're here and we learn, uh, you know, and, and I realized that, wow, you know, I'm, uh, they spent here a few days and going to spa. And so, yeah, I didn't use the spa, but it's, I was living in the same surrounding they were living. And I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the excitement of the hotel, the, the intensity and excitement of the hotel. I, I also enjoyed my vision for the future in the business because he made it very clear to, to us, when we finished with our apprenticeship, which is three and a half years, you go out into the world, you work in Switzerland, you work uh, on the America line, you work uh, in Spain or wherever, go around the world. And I was looking forward to that a potential which was being created just by the fact that I was there in, in, a, in a fine hotel doing my apprenticeship. Yeah, that's really cool. I appreciate the perspective of that, of that journey of where you were and, and how you got to travel the world and, and work in some of the nicest hotels. So transition a little bit. Tell me about that time when it clicked and you're saying, you know what, I need to start my own. I need to open this Ritz-Carlton. What, what was that well, process it, in the journey? It, that wasn't really my own. In the meantime, I, I progressed. I, I, let me push this one in and hopefully some young people listen to you. I went on from that job and the last thing the matter did, did, and I come to this, so the last thing the matter did, did say, look in my eye, promise me you never got to work. And I talk often worked in the truly the finest hotels in Europe. I mean, the finest hotels in the world. And then I ended up in San Francisco after several years after seven, seven years later, I was in San Francisco in the Hilton as room service waiter. And my thoughts there was, I go back to Europe after I get a promotion here, learn English. I'm still working on that, just so. Get a promotion, go back and follow my career in Europe again. It was very clear I would get that job as a room service supervisor. Sooner or later, there were four supervisors. They got promoted. I knew that was my job next. And, and I had an in. I, first of all, I was by far the best waiter there. And there was no question about that. I knew everything. They knew, they knew only how to take an order and deliver food. The metody was German too. So that was my job. So I built my life around that. Mm. And sure enough, as one of the supervisors got promoted, 
and uh, the manager called everybody together and said uh, Fred was promoted to restaurant manager. Congratulations, Fred. We miss you. We were wonderful. Great job. And one of you now, I have now to announce who will take his next job. And congratulations to Bill. And I knew I wasn't Bill. <laughs> I knew that. I knew I wasn't. That was such an ego blow that was unbelievable. So I, what, do, what do I say as a young person? Stupid management and so on. Mm. It took me a few months to admit the other guy deserved it more. When I realized, when I came, I was young. I part in the morning. I walked into the area of work and I good morning. And the other said, the other guy said, "Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you." And I said, Burr. and he could see I was tired. He didn't see him. I came a few minutes late. Oh, just a few minutes. He was there a few minutes early. When the manager asked us to do some side work, like folding napkins, I said, "Why me?" He said, "I'm happy to." Mm. When I realized that, I went back to my little furnished room in the Tenderloin district, a little furnished dirty room. <laughs> and I talked to the Medodi who had died in the meantime. He didn't show up as a ghost. No, no, no. I but I talked to him and I apologized that I went to work. I went to work. I didn't go to Fox Lens. I went to work. Mm. And I promised him it, it would never, ever happen again. And from there on, my career took off dramatically. I became in, in, in Hilton, I became, I got the job, I became eventually caring manager, food and beverage director, food and beverage director, two hotels. And then I joined Hyatt as food and beverage director. Two years later, I became rooms director. A year later, I became general manager. Two years later, I became general manager in a very large hotel. Two years later, I became regional vice president. And two years later, I became corporate vice president over 65 hotels. When now here is where that start when that Ritz Carlton thing started. Then I was there were investors in Atlanta, uh, developers and investors who had two hotels in construction, one a Holiday Inn, one a Marriott. They could not come to agreement with Holiday Inn and Marriott on a contract. So somebody recommended that they will go create their own brand. And they said, "Well, we're not in a hotel business. Well, you find somebody that." And I was recommended. They talked to me, I was not interested, but they kept on talking to me because coincidentally, by sheer coincidence, the next time they talked to somebody, they also recommended me. So they kept on talking to me. I finally started, accepted the job and, and moved to Atlanta in December 82. A year later, in January 84, we opened our first hotel as a Ritz-Carlton. In the meantime, we purchased the Ritz-Carlton in Boston which carried the name, it was a dilapidated hotel, but we closed that hotel for renovation for the next two years. So we opened our first Ritz Carlton in Atlanta and I was in charge of operations for that company. It was not owned by me. Capella, I started all by myself, I was the owner, but uh, uh, Ritz Carlton, I was, I was a president, CEO running the company directing to the CEO who was the owner of the company of other many other things. Got it. So go back to the go, go back to your furnished place where you're talking to this Metro D. Yeah. And <laughs> what was that changed mindset? Because it was a couple months and you it clicked. It clicked where all of a sudden you were realizing that you weren't the best and that you were cutting corners and you were working. What yeah. changed? Well 
I had to, it took a few months because it was a tough ego thing to admit it and so on. But I one by one realized, uh, okay, he always accumulated a little bit. I come a little bit. I argue with the manager, and I thought back of the matter. D, of course, I was embarrassed before him, even though he wasn't there. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, when you're 14, when you start with 14, somebody to 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 nearly 18, you, it's so impactful. It's like a parent, nearly. I was embarrassed. I'm glad that he he doesn't know what happened, and I started to analyze. But what was wrong? Wrong. I came to a realization there that was more why it also came from him. He, mind you, he always talked about excellence. That everything was is is, is this excellence? Well, no, it's not exactly. Well, they make it excellent. So it, it it was put in you, and when I looked at this, was not excellent. And what and I and I heard discussed that what is excellence as you what's excellent in a thing, anything, doesn't matter what it is here, this thing or anything, is if it if it works for what it has been created. And you made it clear our excellence in human being is to do your function as well as you can, to have your relationship as well as you can, to be your morals and your values as high as you can. And you also said once in a while, think about how you can improve. Think about yourself, how you can improve your work, your function. How can you improve your relationships? And I finally ended up to think about that, even though it was very well known to me because of it was beaten into me. And then I said, how, did I do excellence in my function? Uh, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Did I do excellence in my relationship? Sometimes I said, good morning. I said, so good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all. So and so on. So I broke it down. And once it came to the realization, I said, all right. Then I talked to my major D again and I promised that, that would never happen again. Mm. Again, he wasn't there, I know. And I wrote on my mirror where I shave, go to work for excellence. And sure enough, I I, I just changed. I made it made it. Because look, everybody, in particular society today, we, we always blame people and so on. Uh, society, I mean, it's unbelievable what we blame. And I listen to this stuff, and I want to cry for for the people. He taught us, and and that's it. That's it, the, the greatest thing I knew from him. I had to write an, an essay for school at the time, hotel school, when I worked still there as a kid. I was sixteen, and about what we now think of our business, but I went back to work and I want to write about him. And I saw him approach a table of, of guests. Now mind you, we were always told we, we, we're the servants. I was basically in the air. And I could tell clearly that the guests were proud that he came to them. I've seen that before, but ne- never recognized it. And that night I wrote about MDSA and an MDSA I said, well, ladies and gentlemen, what what I what was clear there, and goodness, why don't we see that? I define myself, not other things. And I in in that time in my little room in San Francisco, I realized I have forgotten that I define myself. I have just gone to work. 
not for excellence, to define myself. And no matter what, we define ourselves, period. It's, 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 it's not the lie that it is the other group of people or whatever. It's a terribly sad lie, because I followed that lie too, in, in, in indirectly. You know, I was oh, I blame stupid management, <laughs> not myself. That's so silly. And so I, I learned that, and I I changed. Well, because you know, it, there was a significant emotional event for me, and you only really change your behaviors when there is a significant emotional event. It's a very important issue. Uh, and but that was significant. Let me tell you, when I didn't get that. I had built my life around this promotion, everything. And, and, and when it was announced, we left, when he, the announcement, I was ready to say thank you before he named it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, I mean, so it was crazy, but that's what it was. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. You were you were already leaning forward to yeah, congratulate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had the speech already in the pocket. Literally, I mean, literally. No, it's just terrible. But but it, it was a terrible moment, significant emotional event, and but. I I I, I, I I struggled a few months too with ego and with everything and with the trying sometimes to think about it, but I immediately my ego didn't allow me to admit that it was me. It, it sounds like he played a major role in your life, whether well, he knew no, it or not. No doubt, no doubt. I, I you know, let's let's face it, we all are all of us are the results of impacts that we have by others. Mm -hmm. And I, I was lucky I had him in my life and a few other very impactful relationships in my life, people that I met at work, mostly that impacted me and, and helped me to to stay online, even though I slipped once in a while very clearly, you know. Yeah, it's so it's interesting to me because you mentioned the we're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, and, and I love it because it's it's the mindset that's where it starts. And you had, when, when you were at the Ritz-Carlton, you had these uh, laminated uh, place cards, these laminated with the credo, the 24 service standards. And yeah. Yeah. why, why was that important? What, and, and then well, you, you talk about it every day, right? As, and it's those yeah. service standards that you guys are consistently talking about at the Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it, it, it's kind of funny because today that's not that is not uncommon for a company. But when I did that first, it was unheard of. People laughed about it, people ridiculed it, and so on. And, and, and I never understood that. What we did with that laminated card, we first of all established on it our 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 vision, who we want to be. And we established on it our mission statement. And we established ourselves 
uh, the, the creed of our company. Who is, what is our creed? What we believe in as a company is who we are. And then we establish 20 non-negotiable things that we must do in order to accomplish our vision, which was becoming the best in the world, was the vision. And there were 20 points. And so, we, I mean, it, it, hearing that in writing, first of all, in in, in in an important way to share the vision and everything writing with every employee allows them to be part of the company and not just work for the company. In fact, as I saw that as the greatest gift I gave to employees to give them purpose, not just come in here to wash dishes or check people in. No, we are here for a higher intent, for a higher purpose, to become known as the finest in the world, world and define ourselves to be the finest in the world. As, uh, as employees and as an organization as a whole. And, and to me, it was a gift. Now, not, I don't know if anybody understood that gift, but to me, it was the highest gift can give them. And the 20 points, the 20 non-negotiables, the 20 gold standards or non-negotiable, whatever you call it, we repeated one of them every day. Today, maybe number 12, and, and 20 days is number 12 again. So, because we had to keep, I had to keep front of mind the very thing that accomplishes the very thing that I said we're working for to become known as the very best. So it was a concentration on, on a purpose. Now, as a leader, I think that's essential that you give people purpose. But of course, once you, you may be the one who establishes that purpose, but from there on, it is part of everybody. You know, I, I didn't move to Atlanta from Hyatt, where I was in charge of 65 hotels, basically, uh, for bearish operations. I didn't move there just for a job. I, I moved because I was told I can run the operation the way I wanted, and I dreamt to create the finest hotel company in the world. And then I have to ask myself, though, as the leader, is that good for all concerned, my vision here? Is it good for the investors? I have a major responsibility to them first. Is it good for the guests? Is it good for every employee? Is it good for society as a whole? And so, and I, I agonized about that. And, and that is only something personal with me. And I had to ask myself on the end, on the end would God approve? And once the answer was clearly yes in all cases here, I couldn't compromise it anymore. I, if you will, painted myself in the corner I must achieve this for all concerned. And it's the right thing. So, and, and so now I have to concentrate, of course, on the things that will achieve that. And at the same time, will make profit. Because if I take good care of the guests, I have profit. <laughs> you know, mind you, uh, the investors were there because without them, you don't have anything. Some people want to in, want to eliminate the investors. This is so stupid. <laughs> you don't have a business. I mean, what is this? I mean, why, can't you figure that out? And so I had to think about investors first, and then I, but then I had to say, I can't do it unless it's good for the guests, it's good for the employee. And so, once that was established, that was the twenty points, and and that was very important. Those twenty points, and and you know, and, and fun enough, I still carried them in my pocket. Mm. Because this is value. This is values that you should live by. Have the right relationship, respecting people, and so on. I mean, and, and not com not compromising. And I couldn't compromise. So sometimes you get the feedback that I was 
arrogant, rude, or so on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, when an owner, mind you, we didn't, we didn't, a hotel company is not own hotel. We manage hotels for others. And when an owner in St. Louis comes and said, uh, you're paying too much for the shampoo, uh, the Hilton pays less. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm not the Hilton buddy. <laughs> and, and, and of course, then I got a name that I'm arrogant, but I had to protect the brand. So all those things I did not compromise. Or when an employee did the wrong thing, I said it. I didn't make a, I didn't hesitate to say it. I said, come here, this is wrong. And here's why it is wrong. And, and, and I, I had no right. I, I had to fire one of my best friends. More difficult, his wife was my wife's friend. But I had to fire him because he compromised, keeping him would have compromising our objective. I couldn't do that. I had no right to do that. I had no moral right to do that. That had to have been tough because you you <clears throat> want you have these non-negotiables and you're setting that service standard of excellence. And you're saying, hey, hey man, please, please hit the standard or I gotta let you go. And he's probably just thinking, You're you're my buddy. I, I'm not gonna let this happen. But <laughs> you also, I bet, set that standard where these things are non-negotiable because you did let your best friend go. It, well, maybe uh, uh, that was part of it. And um, I, I tried, I made it very clear. Now, uh, no leader should just fire people. Mm -hmm. You first, you, you're there. Uh, in fact, leadership, the, the, the great gift of leadership is that you have the opportunity to positively impact the life of others. And that's what you try to do. But it, but not to the point of compromising the life of many. So I, I had to try and help and teach. And when it was unsuccessful for quite a long time, there is a red line done that you have to establish and have to change because otherwise you go against everybody. You, you have no right. You, and, and you, in fact, you don't have a moral right to do that. Even though, I, I, frankly, I cried. Yeah. They did it, but um. I, I can't imagine that would be really hard. It's and kind of going back to setting those standards, it starts at the beginning and the beginning starts when you're finding the right people and you're hiring the right people and you're bringing them on and you're onboarding them. Yeah. There's a yeah. story in the book where you show up and you used to do all of the training and you would show up in your fresh, clean suit and you get in front of a, a boatload of people. And the first thing you said, you looked at him and you said, I am a very important person. And then you paused <laughs> yeah. and you just looked at him. Yeah. And they're probably thinking, what in the world? Where am I at? I thought this was a service of excellence. And then you said, and so are you. That's and right. I love the fact that you paused, that suspense, meaning yeah. you are just as important in the journey of that customer's experience. That's right. And, and then you didn't actually talk from there. It's here's what our customers are expecting. Here's where who we are as an organization. Here's what our culture and what we believe and why we believe it or our mission and vision. And then what the fifth or sixth day you eventually get to their job role. Tell me yeah. more about that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm convinced. Well, I'm, I know that nearly all companies do this wrong. We, we were, became very careful and are still 
Totals, uh, and I work with other companies, incidentally, totally different other, co other companies where I'm consulting with. We have instituted those thinkings very successfully. First of all, we didn't hire anymore, we selected. We became very sophisticated in our selection and we used an outside company to help us identify uh, uh, talents in, in, in people and so on. We became quite sophisticated, we, but we invited people to join us. That was a key, join us in our journey of becoming the very best in the world. And then the first day, I didn't do always a training in the new hotels, I did a training. I opened about the first 50 Ritz-Carlton hotels, no matter where they were, if that was Shanghai or Osaka or Berlin or Philadelphia, it doesn't matter. I went there to, to welcome them and do the orientation. And that's the, what is done wrong. What happens in normal orientation, I've seen it so many times. I mean, it's the norm. Uh, the new employee comes in and the uh, department or human resource gives them the rule books, the handbook and the rules of the company and, and so on. <laughs> That's the first day. And, and not only, and, and the manager makes his pathetic team speech. We are a team here, blah, blah. I mean, you know, come on. What is a team? A team is a group of people who helps each, each other toward a common goal. But the common objective, the vision of the company has not been shared, but they make a team speech. And then I always say, kiddingly, if it is a new waiter, again, Fred and Bill, the new waiter, Fred comes in and the manager now say, turns Fred over to Bill. That's all happens the first day. And he said, here's Bill, he knows the ropes. And that always gets me the ropes. <laughs> Since when I'm in the rope business, he knows the ropes. And then sure enough, Bill takes Fred over and they go to the kitchen on the kitchen, on the way to the kitchen, Bill, the old waiter, tells Fred, the new waiter, this company sucks. Mm. What do we possibly expect with this new uh, employee to happen? It's ludicrous. We, we share the first day who we are. Join us again, join us. Here is our dream. Here's a beautiful journey that we are on. There's a beautiful, a beautiful destination we have to be respected as the finest in the world. With it, with it you define yourself. And you, you are in fact defined in the company, but you are with it defined too as an outstanding person. In etc. etc. and 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 here and and so on and the belonging we gave them belonging belonging you know the, the, the crazy thing is there's a survey was made not not too long ago oh, well it's a while ago 20 years or so three million workers were surveyed what's important to them for the job and everybody expected number one would, would be money it was number six Number one was a sense of belonging. <laughs> Why don't we give it to them? I mean, you know, so that's what we gave them the first day. And, and, and of course, the first day said, and here's what we have to do, our guests, so that, they, so that we are number one. We have to be friendly, we have to care, and we have to have more heart, and so on, so on. And we, we discussed those things. You see, much of what we want from our employees in any, any business is a sense of the right behavior, coming to work in time, being friendly with each other, with the guests and so on, being tidy. Well, 
those are behavioral elements that cannot be taught because we are, we are set in our behavior by the time we're 16. It cannot be taught unless there is a significant emotional event in a person's life. And the first day of work is a significant emotional event. So we talked about who we are, join us. Here's what we think, here's what you, we, we think together. Here's how we help each other. Here's how we say hello to each other. Here's how we say hello to the customer. Here's how we create our own work environment by being nice to each other. People will be nice back to you, etc., etc., etc. And on the second day, that continued second day, we start explaining the non-negotiables. And behaviorally, how do you respond behaviorally to that, to those? And then and so on. And the, the third day, by the way, we 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 started to relate it to some mock training. But mostly what I what I did the third day still is met with each department. Each department, the dishwashing department or the maintenance department or the marketing department, it doesn't matter. The culinary department and help them over the next two days to set their own vision for the department. They said it. I just facilitated. And, and interesting enough, and this is fascinating. This is totally fascinating to me. In every culture, mind you, I had hotels in five continents, right? In every culture, it doesn't matter where it was, if that was Japan or Jamaica or Africa or Germany or, or Philadelphia again. When I asked the employees, no, build it up a little bit. Who do you want to be as a department in six months from now? What do you want to be? Mm-hmm. They all, each department in each culture answered the same way. We want to be the best. The dishwasher said, we want to be the best. The maids said, we want to be the best. So much for cultural differences, mm-hmm. you know, so much for all this garbage that we discussed today about different groups of people. They all want to be the best. And our service, by the way, showed also that they all have the same expectation when they buy something. All, all cultures. Again, so much about different groups of people. But that's what we did the first day and the second day and, and the third day and the fourth day. And then we slowly started to move into, into service. From mock service, we actually served each other. And, then, and so on. that's how we built and and I spent most of my time in the in the all day restaurant because the customer contact with everybody else is only seconds or a minute from this minute. In the cafe, it is forty minutes or so, and for breakfast. So I made sure that that worked well. So that we had the right relationship there. So we talked. So we knew how to how to. Tell the guest we care. You're important to us. What What's the moment? The moment when you take an order from the guest. You're saying we have a direct relationship. You look him in the eye, and you can do that ex- exceptional or not, and so on. So, and and of course, I walked around the hotel, and when I I, I, I now forget I was in a hotel, and uh, literally uh, the dishwasher and showed them the dishwasher were working and they did something. Little wrong, so I said, "Come here, here, guys. Here's how you do it. Thank you very much. Have fun." 
And then, of course, the rumor was that I washed dishes all day long. <laughs> I was there for three minutes. <laughs> but, but this is a sad thing. So I, I worked throughout the hotel. I helped mock check-in uh, and, and so on. Uh, and and I, again, I did it in all cultures. Mm. It's all the same. How do you think that made them feel when they were empowered to make their own goals? Well, we did a lot of work, a lot of empowerment, as you know. Well, that, that creates respect. It, 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 uh, you know, by the way, that survey that I talked about, about three million people, number one, sense of belonging. Number two was, number two was, I want elbow room. With other words, I would like to have impact in my specific job because I do it. And I know it better than anybody else because I'm the one who's doing it. So, and, but we don't we don't listen to that. We send this this guy that sits there and is doing the same job for three years. We send them now a memo how to do the job. <laughs> Think about that, you know. So, when, which is terrorism, which is shouldn't exist anyway. Uh, so yeah, there was a, a what what happened is it created a totally different trust relative who the company is that they actually felt. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at sounds arrogant a little bit. I, I'm gone from Ritz-Carlton 20 years. I still get at least once a week a letter thanking me from employees. I have a whole stack lying right there. Uh, yeah. Overwhelming, thanking me for, for uh, impacting their lives, thanking so on. And because the whole culture was teaching respect, excellence, res- helping each other, uh, which with the, right, with the right words and the right attitude and the right commitment. And of course, the success was there. <clears throat> you know, it, it didn't know many of the employees. You know, I always tell the story. <clears throat> Not long, long ago, I was making a speech a few years ago now for the five star award, uh, Forbes magazine. Uh, uh, recognizes every year the, the, the best hoteliers in the world. And there's a big black tie function. I was invited, and there are a few hundred hoteliers in the room. And the, the Forbes guy started talking and said, Horst Schulz is in the room. And they all stood up and applauded and, and screamed. Well, did they really recognize me? No, it's the image of Ritz Carlton. Mm. Which is known, and of course, many in, in Asia of Capella, that has, is a fact. That's what they really were applauding. If, without it, who do you think do you think would applaud me? I mean, of course not. So we we created that defining ourselves together. And and what about the, the maid or the the the, the doorman or bellman? Well, if they would look for a job today, and there are hundred others, they will get it because. Mm. They have to find themselves as being excellent by the connection with Ritz Carlton. That's how it works. But instead of pointing to each other in, in, in companies, and it, it, it's, it's ludicrous. If you like it or not, you define yourself by your job. And, and, and where else will you do it? Other than in a place where you spend most of your waking life. At work, that's why define yourself. Not while you watch TV at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty profound. And and I appreciate that. I'm I'm uh, 
soaking this this uh, episode in and in our conversation in general. Uh, one thing I do at the very end of every episode, however, is to ask my guest that if they could leave a note to all people on customer service or customer experience, and it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? Well, I would, I would generally say if I wouldn't have touched on this right, look at it on, in, your, in, your, in your human contact, in your, all your human contacts, it is you are, you are defining yourself in relationship. So take yourself as a human being and improve. Question yourself in your function. Question yourself once a week in your functioning. Could I do my job better? Question yourself four times a day in your relationship. How could I have done this better? After you pass somebody, after, uh, after you had a meeting with your boss or with your employee, after you met a customer, could I have done this better? Question yourself morally and ethically. Could I be better? And consequently, you have, if you do that, you start a journey of continuously improvement and you will reach an, a level of excellence above, above where you are. And that, that all starts with the decision. You see, your destiny is not luck. It's a decision you make. So I'm recommending you make the decision for excellence in yourself by improving yourself. Good luck. Sound advice. Uh, you can connect with Mr. Scholes on his website, horstscholes.com. Also, his book, Excellence Wins, is available wherever books can be purchased. And last, uh, leadership content can be purchased and viewed at needtolead.com, where the content can be licensed for a larger audience. Horst, it's been a pleasure. And I look forward to continuing to see your obsession over the experience. Great. Nice to be with you and all the best. God bless. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.